0: So we you could just turn uh, to Romans chapter 12. It may well be that I'll finish this mini-series that I've had in Romans 12. It has gone over uh, a fair few months, it feels. Let's just read all the passages together. Romans chapter 12. Verse 1. Here's God's word. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present to your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, an acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, and this is the Apostle Paul, that's who's speaking, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So he's talking here about churches, the body of Christ. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, who he gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another. Not lagging in dil- diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I was hoping, and hopefully it will be the case, to finish this today. And uh, I was looking at those last verses, 19 to 21. I had a, I had a plan in my head that's what would happen. Um, But then I stumbled on verse 14. And as I looked at this verse, I realized that I could not speak today without looking at that verse in particular. Do you think I could spread any more across here? Have you ever been wronged? It might be as little as a decision on the football pitch. It might be you make a stand in work. It might be you've upset one of your mates because you stood up for someone who was having a bit of a rough time. And you've people have got at you. They've turned away from you. They haven't spoken to you. They've spoken lies about you behind your back. But that is a part of the Christian life. And that is what I'm going to look at today. Now, the context, of course, is the previous 11 chapters. That being a Christian, isn't it just a decision that you've made once in a time? Long ago for some of you, some of you maybe very recently. It is the fact that once you were dead, and now you're alive. Once you were an enemy of God, and now you are his child. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you call him Father. Abba Father. And Paul labours that. In these chapters 1 to 11 in Romans, he labours it. He talks of the glory of Christ. The second Adam. We've all fallen. There's no hope. But in Adam, we have hope. And then you come to Romans 12, chapter 12, which is what we're looking at. And he says these words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, because by the mercies of God, because of his mercy that he's shown us, this is how you are. To live. It's gospel grammar. I think I used that. I've used it several times. We, we live as Christians, not because we want to earn anything from God. is because we have been loved by God. Is that your experience, Christian? As Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome... It was pretty diverse There were the orthodox jews converted sat and it was very obvious they were jews you only need to go to the abba conference to see that for those of you think i don't know whether they'll be there this year but with all due respect they stand out and in this congregation there would have been the jews who stood out and then there was gentiles and there was those who worshiped many gods and they were all sat in the, where you are now, in this one place, maybe it was in the upstairs of a home, maybe it was in a, in a part of the synagogue. don't know. But it was diverse. And Paul is speaking this verse, verse 14, into their lives. Now notice, this is not an easy verse to hear. But as I said, verses one and two, Paul reminds them. That they are living sacrifices reminds us that this Christian life is not easy. Being a sacrifice is not easy. He reminds them that by God's mercy in verses 3 to 9, he reminds them that we are part of the body of Christ. These are the first words uttered to the church that actually your local church is important. When you become a Christian, you become part of the church. We're doing that as we welcome three new members this morning being part of this local church, saying, I'm willing to be part of this place. And what a mess we are. All of us with different functions. All of us who look differently, sound differently, come from very different contexts. And Paul's speaking to them. And in this verse 9 to 21, he's he's telling them not just what love is in the context of the local church, but also how love outworks itself. How it outworks. What does that love look like? That word love, we hear it a lot, don't we? But in the context of church, what does the love of Christ look like? Now, um, you know, you always, when you're looking at a passage, you always like to get it in nice, neat chunks. It helps, helps you, the listener, helps me, the preacher. Um, I've tried to do that but it's not quite like that so when you see verse 14 is really in the middle of the passage talks about the church but isn't the persecuted isn't the persecutors that are in the church he's talking about the persecutors really essentially your enemies people you deal with outside but i did find this one helpful uh distinction here in this passage and it was Verse 9 to 13 really is uh, the one another's. Paul has preached on that, hasn't he? Our pastor has preached on the one another's before Christmas. So helpfully challenging us to love one another. And what that looks like, forgiveness and hope. Forgiveness and loving and pursuing each other. It's when we move towards each other. But this verses 14 to 21 is really how we react to people. And I found this helpful in in a sermon I listened to by uh, an African pastor. And he defined it that it's the here we're reacting to people, how we react to people. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I have a person in mind. Um, (laughs) I'm in work. Uh, I'm in church. Maybe there's someone here you think I'm finding it difficult with them at the moment. But this is about loving. Others outside the church and reacting to what others do to us. And you get a sense of that from verse 14 onwards. It talks about, well, persecuting. You bless them. Weep. You weep with them. If they rejoice, you rejoice with them. If they're different to you, the term used is lowly in standing. If they're different, different backgrounds to you. You identify with them and you love them. It's a response. And that is what life is like, isn't it? Much of what we do is with people. We're not called to live in isolation. We're not called to live in a monastery. We're not called to live in some Christian bubble where we try and keep things safe to live in the world not of it and Paul is saying one of the key things is that those who are your enemies those who seek to persecute you you must bless them so let's look a little bit more at that verse that was just as a way of introduction so what must we do first of all we must accept persecution accept persecution and you've got two points What was the context? As I said, it was the Jewish people. If whether they were in this meeting secretly or whether they had declared it publicly. There was persecution ahead. They would have been shunned. Uh, Clothes would have been ripped. They'd have been declared dead to their families. Or maybe some. Uh, Greek philosophers who are sitting in the congregation thinking, I'm going to follow, I'm now following a Galilean Jew. They would have been persecuted for that. You follow Jesus Christ? And we must accept that if we're in the world, there will be persecution. Persecution. Don't expect the world to rejoice if you tell them you're a Christian. You become a Christian, you go to school, you tell your friends. What do you want? What is that about? But Matthew 5, Christ says, Blessed are they when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Christ further said in John 15, If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. And we've known of students in Emmanuel whose families are not Christians. They've gone home to tell their parents they're Christians. And that has been very, very difficult, even with those people who are closest to them. You see, being a Christian is, being a persecuted Christian, being sometimes at odds with the world, is the mark of a Christian. I myself fall into this trap, and I don't know whether you do, and I've said it already. Being a Christian is a miracle. It's not just a decision you've made. It's an amazing act of creation, because he uses that word, doesn't he? We are new creations. We are now alive in Christ. We have a different view of the world. We see things differently. We see money differently, we see our time differently, we see life differently, we see retirement differently, we see what A levels we have differently, we see what work we do differently, we are different. And there are things in our culture that really we just don't fit in. Christ didn't fit in. In Did he? He called things out? and because he was the truth, he was hated for it. But then people came to him and in these verses we're looking at, please hear what I'm saying. and the encouragement in one Peter that Harriet read, and the encouragement here is, we do as much as we can. Not to be persecuted. And I think that's I need to be careful with how I say that. We it is the cross that is the offence, not us. I think that's what Paul was meaning our Paul meant on Wednesday night, with a passion for life. We love people, we make friendships with people, we seek out the good for people. That's what he's talking in these verses here as well. Um, You hang around and have that conversation. I was so challenged by Wednesday night. I was so challenged when there's an opportunity for you to leave the staff room thinking no I'll stay and I'll talk to someone I haven't talked to before or that I just can't be bothered to stay and hang around and there's times when you just can't and you're too tired but So he's talking about that here, but I'm talking about when we really need to stand, when we really, really need to not compromise. And we are a marked man. I, I, you know, remember, being a Christian isn't all just coming to church and everyone's so happy and isn't this great? Isn't the Christian life? That can be a war zone. And you come in here and you find peace and hope and you sing together with other people who are struggling with difficult situations in work, being what seems like constantly being hit from every angle. But we know that God is with us. So we're thankful, aren't we? We're so thankful for John Evans who sends out those... Helpful texts, encouraging us with our brothers and sisters who are persecuted in Iran, in North Africa. But sometimes we can think, well, that's not us. Thank goodness that's not me. And we must thank God we don't face that persecution. But I speak to myself are we compromising? Are we being persecuted? are we standing up as men and women, young people of integrity? Because what your friends need and what your workplace needs is people who are people of integrity. They want people they can trust. They want people who says what they mean. That was, didn't sound right. Who say what they mean. So young person here, when you you come out of a group chat and you know this group chat is not helpful, you know it is causing distress to certain people and you make a stand. You know you'll get some stick for it because you know that's not how the Lord wants you to act. Or maybe you're in your 20s and 30s and you're starting a new job and you're asked to compromise and they say, you know, you can put extra hours on your timesheet and they won't know. Oh, you think about it. You say, I can't do that. And they'll say, Well, if you don't do it, the, the boss is going to know that we're all doing it. And you say, I can't. Maybe it's in the family context. Maybe you've gone home and you've become a Christian. And your parents think, live life. You're a Christian and you're not going to do what I do. You're not going to drink and live for life and live it. And you say, no, I'm living for Jesus. I have something far more. And you're shunned in your family. For a time, maybe. Maybe it might only be a short time. Maybe you become, and I've spoken to people about this, and I, I say, become the best daughter you can be. Become the best dad you can be. Become the best grandparent you can be. Love them and love them and love your family into the, into the church. But you're still set apart from the other members of the family. Well, God said, ex, says here, expect that. Expect it. Forgive them. So, that's my first point. Accept. Because in acceptance comes peace. You know hear little gems, Elizabeth Elliot, and I heard her in the conference twenty-five years ago. In acceptance comes peace. And in James says, doesn't he? He says, uh, consider pure joy when you face trials. Um, and those trials bring, bring perseverance. It's character. It's hard. And to forgive my family again and to forgive others who've wronged me because I've just made a stand. Accept. God will not waste anything for your good to make him more like the Lord Jesus. So we accept. The second thing, only do we accept, we must bless. And really acceptance is In this verse in Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. I wonder how those early Gentiles who believed in many gods, uh, now they were believers and they were being set aside for jobs or maybe they were shunned. Maybe they were uh, never got promotion, whatever work that they did. And how tempting it was for them to go back to their gods, to wish good luck, bad luck, sorry, on their enemies. To pray to their gods. The temptation that must have been. And maybe that's why Paul is emphatic here when he says it. He actually says, bless those who persecute you. And he says again, bless and do not curse. Maybe in that culture, cursing was much more common than it is. Verbally, in our culture. But this isn't a Paul idea, Apostle Paul idea. Christ spoke to those Roman soldiers who separated his garments. You think of the humility, sorry, you think of the uh, humility of that and what that meant. And he looked at them and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, to bless is to invoke God's blessing on your enemies. When you go home at night at the end of the day in school, you pray for those friends who've said some unkind things about you behind your back publicly. You pray for them. What is this blessing Paul's talking about? What is the greatest blessing on anyone that we know? That they would know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they would be blessed. Maybe there's here a challenge to you that something's happened in the church context. I know this is about enemies, those who are not Christians, but there's also things you hope you're applying. Maybe there's someone Who has something that you don't have. And you are feeling so bitter about it. And almost in your minds they are becoming enemies to you. Because they have something that you don't have. Is that playing out? God says bless them. And don't just bless them. When they rejoice, rejoice with them. When they weep, weep with them. When they need a drink, give them a drink. When they need food, give them food. Love them. Pray for them. Want their good. And God will bless you through that. He will help you to grow. He will. He promises that because this isn't just about something you do here. This is about something you do here. And he's given you the Holy Spirit. Because he's given you the love of Christ. Christian, you are a new creation. Which means that we can say, bless those who persecute me. Not in a stoic, stiff upper lip, I can do this. Like some motivational talk. Jesus was just a great motivational speaker. That's not what he was. He was the love that forgave you and me. How could a Paul write this? Paul knew that he hated Christians at one time. He killed Christians. And he been forgiven. And we must forgive those who trespass against us. And we can only do that by the Spirit. And I must ask, you forgiveness for this, because when I looked at this verse, I really didn't press it home hard enough. But in chapter, in earlier on in the chapter 12, in verse 3, I think that is the root of all of this chapter on very practical love. He says, for I say, through the grace given to me. Uh, you say to me, you say, Glyn, that is mission impossible that I could ever forgive that person. Maybe it's even in the context of what small things. Please remember what you find as a cross now might be insignificant compared to other people's cross for a person who needs maybe to sacrifice their own family to be a Christian, but they'll never see their family again. Maybe yours is minute compared to that, but bring every single cross to him and you think, Oh, Lord, even that seems impossible. How can I forgive that person? The thing they said, the text they didn't said, their inconsiderate way. Philippians 3, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That, for some of you, is more than moving a mountain that you would forgive. You sometimes hear that prayer and uh, we hear, you can pray and mountains will move and you think, what does that mean? It means it here. Maybe there's someone you haven't forgiven for many years. Forgive them. And maybe even tell them. Or even bless them, but first pray for them. I remember in the conference, um, I'm trying to think which speaker it was, but I remember I was really struggling with someone in work. And maybe it was maybe being a Christian. Maybe I'd said some things that offended her. Maybe there's certain things that she found difficult in me. Maybe there were some things in me that had offended her, how I was. And you all know me. There's certain brash ways that I can be. Sometimes I don't think. But I think this was for something real gospel. And she really took an uppance against me. And uh, I, I, I didn't know what to do. Then I was really challenging the conference. Pray for her. Pray for your enemies. And as I prayed for her, I realized I could love her. God transformed the way I thought about her. Maybe that's what he's calling you to do. Persevere in prayer. Now, there's just helpful insights here as well that I think you need to know. That I, I, I talked about gospel grammar. Um, here's another little bit of theology. Total depravity. Don't be surprised that those who are not Christians offend you and say all sorts of things against you. They do not know the grace of God. So don't be surprised. That's the first thing. Secondly, God is sovereign, and we get a sense of this in verse. Um, get a sense of this in verse seventeen, and it also came up in the chapter in one Peter three. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. I can tell you that that verse has been a great help to me when dealing with. Um, in, in certain situations, God is in control. And our tendency is, as recovering control freaks, as uh, Ted Tripp says, is that we like to take control and choose the easiest option. But God says, no, I'm in control and I am sovereign uh, one commentator writes, when Paul says that the those addressed, and ultimately all of us must leave room for the wrath of God, in harmony with the entire context, is again emphasizing that we ourselves should not play God. As Joseph looked at his brothers as they came through the door of whatever room he was handing out the grain, And he saw his brothers and the power he had to have them imprisoned, which he did as part of their character building. He restored his relationship to them. He forgave them. It's a very, very powerful and moving story, isn't it? And as he, I love the bit where he he goes around the corner and he cries because he's seen his brothers again. He's forgiven them, hasn't he? And he says those famous words, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And as God was on the cross, God the Son. He had all of the power of creation, space and time in his hands. Though nailed to a cross, he said, it is finished. He could have blasted every single one into a lost eternity. And he turns to this man and he says to him, today I will see you in paradise. The power he had. Maybe this is a challenge to some of you who have a much power in work. You're a manager, or you're a judge, or you're, you rule over others, or you do in the home if you're a parent. The power to forgive is a very powerful thing as a parent. The power to f- ask for forgiveness in work is a very powerful thing for a manager to do. I think that's what Paul says in Philippians He said, let your gentleness be evident to all. And the peace of Christ, he goes on to say, will transcend all understanding. And I think that's what he's talking about here. And as I said, it is only the grace of God that you can do it. People will say all sorts of things. Well, he's done this to you. You think... He knows no better. Maybe you don't say that to them. In your mind, you say, God is sovereign. He knows all things. I might have to lose my job. Do we believe? Do we believe that he's in charge of your bank account? Do we truly believe that he's in charge of your future? Just to close then. Um, many of you may have heard this, so I really apologise if I didn't get all the facts right, but I listened to uh, the interview with Tamer Pollard. I don't know anyone listened to that. Uh, it was in uh, such the, the helpful series run by the Heath on a Sunday night when they interviewed different Christians. And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, they interviewed Tamer Pollard. Anyone heard of Tamer? She worked for Highfield. She now was a family worker. And in, 1970, in 1997, her parents were attacked. They, for many years, had been traveling to uh, Romania, and they would travel through North Hungary. Uh, they'd done it for many, many years. Uh, they were teachers. They had long holidays, and they that was their mission, to take out food to encourage. They did it when the Iron Curtain was still up, so they'd take Bibles. Uh, but after the Iron Curtain fell, they still did it. And uh, they were in a... Uh, their minivan, their camper van. And very often in the camper van, it would conk out many, very often the journeys would take a long time. But that one night they were in their camper van, parked in a layer by just outside one of the villages. Three young lads from the uh, local village came out, dressed in black, pretending to be police. Now it was obvious they weren't, but they asked for money, said, you, you are fined because you're uh, sat you're sleeping overnight in a layer bike. They gave them money. There wasn't much money. Um, Tamar's parents said it was easier just to give them money. They were given a ticket, what looked like a ticket. Um, and these boys just left them. Anyway, these boys obviously thought we can get some more money here. They came back and we don't know the finer details, but one of the boys uh, beat the dad with a metal bar and killed him and um, and then seriously inj- injured the mum um, Taima and her brother were still back in the u k and heard the news and um, by the time Taima saw her mum her mum was in hospital i 'm missing out details here, but I would really encourage you to go to listen on the youtube channel there and uh, As she walks into the hospital, she hears her mum say, give an interview. And uh, uh, her mum is saying, I forgive them. This is in the light of the fact her husband has just been killed. She has a broken jaw um, because they tried to injure her more. They thought they they killed her, but she hadn't. She's just unconscious. So she's there, listening to her mum. She hadn't spoken to her mum at this point, telling the news uh, news, uh, reporter that she'd forgiven these men, boys, and that uh, could all the Christians listening to this news article, this, this news reporter, pray for these men that they would be forgiven, that God, would bless them and not curse them. So Tamar heard this, and as she heard it, she was so angry. How could my mum forgive them? She said, if those boys were here now, I would attack them. I'd want to kill them. So she said, and in her words, she ran out of the hospital, found a quiet place. And she said, I was by these railings. And she was kicking and screaming, not outwardly, but inwardly, Lord, do I have to forgive? These were the questions. And all she could see, this is where the reconciliation of her faith. Do I really believe that Jesus can forgive them? Do I really believe that Jesus has died for those boys that killed my Dad and trying to kill my mum. Can you see it's in those trials that we really test what our faith is all about? And she said, She cried, she screamed inwardly, and she realized that she must forgive. And she went into that back into the hospital room, and she said, In her words, Mum, I'm with you in this. And God answered her instantly. And I think that's what Paul says in this final verse, where he says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I must say there, that Tema's mum, who only a few years after being attacked, died of Alzheimer's from the, from, the, from the attack that she'd had, died only a few years later when Tema was in her early 20s. Her mum wanted to meet those boys. In fact, before she was able to physically, she sent packages to them, a Bible and gifts, uh, only two of the three wanted to meet her uh, and keep in touch. Eventually, only one of them remained in touch. His name is, is-, is Istvan, and he is the one that killed Tamer's father. He remained in contact. Now, just before Tamer's mum lost her mind completely, he received a letter and it said that Istvan had been saved he couldn't get over the fact that this woman had forgiven him and that Christ could forgive him she enacted this didn't she in a very real way and maybe you're saying in your mind I could never do that Maybe God's asking you this morning, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone whose actions have caused you to become bitter and you're hardened? Is there some behaviour, not only must you pray for them, but you must seek to bless them? 1 Corinthians 13 says this. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. The love of Christ bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. Let us pray.